sir. Can you hear me? Oh, oh yes. And whoever was fixing your shirt did a nice job. That looks good. <laughs> that was Candace. See? Totally. Hi, Candace. Hi, Gina. How are you? Hi, friend. Hi, Mike. Hey, Candace. So I just wanted to say thank you um, for everybody showing up. You know, this has become a community and a family, and it's obviously a lot bigger today, which I love. <laughs> and that's because we have the great Robert Ory, NBA legend. <laughs> and um, like I was saying, I think I think everybody knows Robert Ory, right? You and but I but what I'm so happy about having Robert here is getting to know him. Not only can we learn from what made him successful in basketball, but he's a successful father, a successful husband, successful in life. And, and what I'm hoping that we can hear today is some of those life lessons that Robert has learned. And, and um, if you will indulge me for two minutes, Robert, I'm going to talk about you for a minute. Then we want to, to ask you some questions. Is that cool? That's cool. <laughs> so, um, born in Maryland, I think, right? And then grew up in Alabama. So Alabama High School Player of the Year and goes to the Alabama Crimson Tide from 88 to 1992. And I remember Mr. Ori when I was at LSU in law school during that time. He would come over and, and play against the likes of Shaquille and Chris Jackson and all those guys, you know. And Stanley Roberts. <laughs> that's right, Stanley Roberts. Um, it's not like I'm hurt by having three NBA players on the LSU team and we get kicked out in the first round of the playoffs. But I'm not. I'm not there. <laughs> but anyway, Robert gets drafted in the first round by Houston, and he is the only non-Celtic that has seven or more NBA championships. And what that tells us, and what we talked about, is success is a not only about having the skills, but applying it consistently over time. And he is the one of the all-time greats. And I just want to say a few things. When, when he retired, I mean, everybody knows about the clutch shooting. And I remember when Magic was being interviewed and he said, yeah, Robert's one of the top 10 clutch shooters of all time. And sure enough, we all remember the Lakers, but you were doing this with the Rockets, with the you did it with the Spurs. And when you retired, at the time you retired, he was the NBA all-time leader for three-pointers in the playoffs, beating Michael Jordan. And still holds the record for the most three-pointers without a miss in an NBA, NBA playoff game and some others. And I love it. I'm like, I didn't know you held so many records. And true to his form, he goes, yeah, it's a couple. It's all. I'm like, it's a couple. So I just, um, you know, as father, uh, I know that you're coaching your son in basketball, your, your other sons uh, at A&M playing football, married to Candace, beautiful Gina and, and Robert's wife have known each other for a long time. And so thank you, Mr. Ori, really very much appreciate it. So um, Robert, I just I wanted to start off because we're all so interested in, you know, what it takes. And here you are, have achieved the highest levels from the time that you were, you know, in high school on. Can you spend some time maybe telling us some of the things that you feel like you applied in your professional career, in your life, the skills that you see are really important 
to success? You know, for me, I have to say that I had some great tutelage along the way. And I was very blessed with uh, great coaches. And I look back at my my life, my career, when it's pertaining to basketball, I, I think about all the coaches that I had. And it's so funny. I can go back to my my elementary school coach. We'd be on the playground playing basketball. And I'm going right, killing everybody, going right, killing everybody. He was like, you can't go right anymore the rest of the day or you can't play basketball. And so I'm like, I will go kick the ball out of bounds, go kick the ball. So I said, you know what? I'm just going over to play baseball because that was my second, my first love, baseball. And and then I got to middle school. I had a coach that says, um, you're the best player on the team. Don't pass the basketball. But we wasn't winning that way. And I'm like, well, I need other people to be successful in order for me to be successful. And then when I got to high school, it was a mixture of all of that put together and him, my high school coach saying, you're the captain of this team. If they don't do well, it's because of you. You need to get them in shape. You need to follow the rules. You need to have them on time, be disciplined. And then when I got to college, it was uh, it was like all of that wrapped into one. So I was, I was very blessed to have great coaches slash father figures in my life that put me on the path to be where I was. And along that path, they always was telling me, you know, you got to work hard. You got to sacrifice. You got to do things that you don't want to do to benefit the team. You got to do things that you think you can't do to benefit the team. So for me, having those coaches and having that influence in my life was very important because I can remember, I can remember times where I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to go. And I, and I, and I looked at the coaches. I looked at my teammates and they were all looking at me with open eyes. Like, okay, what are you going to do now? And and it put the onus on me, and to step up, it it was almost like a big brother situation. And even though my freshman year in high school, my my oldest brother, he was a senior. I remember at times where he would come to me and say, "Bro, you, we need you, man. You got to step up." I'm like, "I'm just a freshman. I'm just going to follow," you know. And it was so funny that you have your older brother who would kick your butt all your life. Now you're on, a, on the same, you know, playing level, and he's looking at you for leadership and guidance. And I'm looking around like, dude, I'm only 13. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. And but it, I was, I was very blessed. And you think I think about how hard my coaches pushed me. You know, not just on the court, but in the classroom, um, them pushing me and going to my teachers and saying, "Don't let Robert slack off." because he, we feel like he has a bright future. And getting to college and going to the University of Alabama uh, and having four great years of college and having coaches you know, to, to, to fight you. When I mean fight you, I don't mean really fist fight. When I said fight with you to try to get you to be the best you can be. And that was the most important thing that when you look back as you get older, you're like, wow, these coaches made me who I am. And for me to get drafted, and the weird part is everybody grows up. Nowadays, even my son Christian is like this. What is your goal? My goal is to be in the NBA. That's plan A. My plan A wasn't to be in the NBA. My plan A was to be a teacher. My plan B was, okay, if I become a basketball player and my skills develop, they go, okay, so well, so so be it. And But I was very fortunate. Even when I went to Alabama, I had great coaches there. Wim Sanderson was on my butt from day one. And, and you love it when you have people in your life that can see something in you. And when you have that feeling that 
someone sees something in you, you don't want to let them down. Right. And so you go out and you work hard. And I, I remember I used to sit there and watch film of other players. And it was two things I was doing. I was stealing moves, number one. <laughs> and number two, I was watching them to see their weaknesses, not their strength, their weaknesses, because if you figure out someone's weaknesses, you can exploit that. And I know it sounds weird to say that. If you think about it, you don't want to, you know, you know, pound on someone's weakness, but in the game of sports, you do that because if they're weak, you take advantage of that weakness. And for me, it was just learning. I was, I was just learning, observing and watching and taking bit pieces of here, bit pieces of there. And the crazy thing is you apply it to your skill set because there are some guys, even in NBA now, that are doing things they shouldn't be doing. And, like, and, and that's how the league is. And what I mean by that is, like, everybody wants to shoot threes now. You got guys that go out and hit two threes out of ten and think they did a good job. I'm like, that's not good, dude. That's 20%. <laughs> that is not good. You might want a 20% return on your money. That's the only thing that's good in that sense. But you don't want 20% when it comes to sports. It's not good. And for me to see that, I'm like, no, you need to shoot about 40% from the three. Now we talking. So you look back and you take that, you learn from that, and you just adapt yourself and you you try to be, you know, the terminology always use a sponge and absorb everything you can. And for me, I learn each and every day. And it's, it's so weird. Now that I'm retired, I'm still learning things from basketball and, I can't apply it to my game, but I can apply it to my son's game. I'm helping him out. And it's always fun to sit down with him and point things out. And it's so funny you mentioned Candace. Cause I'll, tell Can- I'll tell Chris something. Candace will be sitting there like, what's that? And I have to rewind it <laughs> and break it down for Candace. And it's funny because now that my son knows the terminology, it's like we can speak on a level that Candace doesn't know about. And it's fun because she's like, well, what's that? We're like, no, nah, we're not going to tell you. And when, you, when you're able to learn stuff like that and, and, and pass it along, especially, especially for, for Christian because, you know, he's about to start his journey in high school and, and hopefully beyond that. And to have this knowledge that you've learned from a middle school coach, elementary school coach, high school and college, and then pro coaches, to be able to put that together and understand what you need to do to make you better at your craft is incredible because I, I remember sitting there sometime in the locker room and people would come in the locker room like, where's Robert? He's in the training room. Like, well, what, not in the, in the equipment room. They're like, in the equipment room? What's he doing in there? And I'm watching film. I'm not even watching the film of the opponent we were about to play. I'm watching the film of opponents two or three games away because you can all like, this is why you're doing that. Because that's, I already got everything I need to know about my opponents tonight. Now, if I learn something about my next opponent and especially my opponent had just played the guys I'm playing now, you're learning and you, you, you're adapting yourself and you preparing for the next day. I know people will always say, you know, why are you preparing for the next day? I said, you should prepare. I said, I already got that locked in. I already know what I'm doing now. It's like, I'm still trying to learn for the next guy. So I'll be ready. And so when we go into that meeting, I'm going to help the coaches out, be like saying, oh, this guy does this, this guy does that. You know, you got to be prepared mentally. And when I talk about mentally, this is what I, I, I have all my kids do. I tell them to sit down, and this is the greatest thing that someone has ever told me to do, is to visualize success. 
You have to visualize what you're doing to be successful. And I remember I used to go to bed at night or sit around before taking a nap, and you visualize yourself making shots. You visualize yourself running through the plays. Um, I remember my ex-wife used to wake me up at night because she's like, what are you doing? Since you were running in your bed or running, and I would, that's how strong your mind is. You can visualize that. And then she said, now get up because I will literally be in a sweat because I'm thinking I'm playing a game in my sleep because right. my visualization skills got so good that I could really see the plays happen, see the plays developing and, and learn from that. So, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to interrupt for one second because yeah. some of the stuff that you've said reminds me of Sometimes when we met, and I wanted to acknowledge when we met, I don't know if you remember, there was another former professional basketball player named Stephen Graham who was meeting with us, right? Mm -hmm. And you all were talking that language that <laughs> you and your son talked that, you know, we don't. And sure enough, Mr. Graham has joined us to say uh -oh. hi. And um, where where can we, uh, Stephen, are you there? I don't know if yeah, we can. Let me unmute him. He's right here. Uh, I'm here. Can you see me? Hey, Miss Stedman. Thank you so much. I, and uh, we were just talking. I don't know how long you've been. If you heard what Robert was talking about about talking that language, but I did. I did. I mean, I I, I thought this story is outstanding. Well, number one, uh, to be at to work at that level. I mean, I played European Pro League and played ball in college and all, so not at his level. But to be at that level where you are um, actually a professional basketball player playing for, you know, the top L.A. Lakers for all these years is extraordinary. And to be able to – I mean, all the steps that I talk about, uh, Robert and, uh, and Mike, is the nine-step success process. Every step that you're talking about is in there. Yep. Because you cannot – even begin to self-actualize your potential unless you have vision, unless you have a plan, unless you work hard, unless you practice, unless you're smart, unless you're engaged uh, in your game, unless you are aware of what's going on around you and aware of your opponent. And, uh, and then having that uh, background where you're hungry uh, you, you can't even do it at that level. It's the highest level. That's why I have so much respect for athletes uh, because the athletes, to me, uh, and I, I, I hope this doesn't get out too much, but I'm going to say it, <laughs> is more superior because they're working on training themselves. So when you talk about wealth building and you talk about self-actualization and you talk about uh, even in business, being able to be a good business person, you got to have, it's about you. And the 21st century today says you got to be a self-learner, self-directed learner, lifelong. You got to take charge of your own learning today. So Robert, that's what you emulate. I mean, that's what that you're, you're the role model for that. You have the foundation for that. Now the question becomes, and I don't want to take up your time because I know what you're interviewing. The question becomes is how do you transfer those same skills to the real world? Yeah, we're going to, we, that's, that's where we're ultimately going to be at the end of this hour. Exactly. Stedman, I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming on. And, and well, I have to tell you how much I appreciate Robert and who he is and watched <laughs> him all these years playing and, and just phenomenal 
athlete and, uh, and great human being. So, I mean, I don't, Robert, I don't know you that well, you know. I mean, we met a couple of times, uh, uh, maybe before, I think one time. And, uh, and, and, of course, I've watched you and all of that. So it's a pleasure to, um, to, to be a part of this. And Mike is a great guy. Uh, and, you know, his partner, Gina, both of them are extraordinary folks in, in their own right. So, anyway, I don't want to take up your interview. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Do what you do. And, uh, but, uh, man, we love you and we care Same about here, you. sir. And uh, so glad that you are able to help so many people, especially your son. Get him to understand how to uh, break the cycle and, and, and keep excellence and performance going in a big way. Thank you. So much. Thanks, Devin. All right. And you know, Robert, it's it's interesting. We were talking, we've talked in in weeks past, and I've we've read some books. I've talked about books that were written in the 30s and the 50s and the 70s and the 90s, and and you hear you and you hear Stedman, and many of the same things are in all of these books, the high-performing, successful people. You hear it, guys. This is exactly right. He visualizes. He works. He prepares. He he understands what's needed, and then he figures out how to do it. And so, um, just amazing. And you know, Robert, if you could, if you saw what you know, if you thought about what were some of the the characteristics that that you applied, you know, the 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 work ethic that you saw not only in you, but some of the high performing athletes that you were involved with, what would you kind of say was the, the big deal, the big thing? I, I think the biggest thing would be um, hard work and, and, and sacrifice. And people don't understand the sacrifice. Sometimes they don't really can, can wrap their mind around how much athletes sacrifice. And not just athletes, successful people, because I think the biggest sacrifice that we make is, 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 is time. And there's not enough time because if you want to be great at something, you got to spend a lot of time with that. But then you got to realize there's only 24 hours in a day. And if you take up most of that time perfecting your craft or whatever it is, is it's going to take away from the most important time. And that's time with your family and your friends. And so you make a big sacrifice that in that area, because you're so strong minded and that you want to be successful that you in that, in that, in that moment, you kind of think about, okay, I'm going to be successful at this. I got to put in the time. I got to sacrifice time. But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, crap, I'm taking this away from my family. But I'm doing this for my family. It's, it's, it's a catch-22. And every athlete that I've come across you that have been, ex, you know, those, those upper echelon athletes like Dream, Kobe, Shaq, those guys put in that time. They put in that extra time. Um, you could get to the gym at 10 o'clock thinking you're there early. They already been there. They sweating. They actually only cool down, stretching, just prepare for practice. And that's that time you have to put in. You know, that's that time in the film room, which is equivalent to, you know, like studying in, 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 in whatever, you know, field you want to be in and learning. And I, I, I think that's the biggest key that you have to put in the time. And when you put in that time, because I played with some upper echelon athletes and I look at them, I'm like, uh, dude, you need to work on something that you're not good at. You know, you got a lot of these elite athletes. Let's say you're good at a bank shot. He's working on the bank shot over and over. And over. I said, you already mastered that in my mind. 
And I, I take, for example, you take Kobe Bryant. We we be in practices. Kobe, you can't shoot threes. He would go to practice, be there two hours before practice starts, shooting number threes to prove to us that he could shoot threes. We used to actually mess with him, like, Kobe, you can't shoot left-handed. He really, one day in practice, shot all day left-handed to show us that he could shoot the ball left-handed. And you have those elite athletes like that that are always evolving, always learning, always making themselves better. And then you have other athletes that are just flat out gifted that don't really need to work on things, but still are more talented than other people. And then you think about, dude, if you had that mindset of a larger one, of a Kobe Bryant, you'd be on a whole nother level. But some guys just, you know, they just satisfied with being at that level. And you can't be satisfied at being at one level. You want to, you know, go to the next level. I don't like playing video games. You know, when you was a little kid, you always told mom, wait, mom, let me finish this level. Wait, mom, I'm almost at the next level. And that's what you want to do as an athlete, as any professional. You want to get to that next level because right. you can always learn. You can always be successful. You always can be better. And that's what every elite athlete I've come across, you know, even, even if not uh, ones that are uh, superstars, Everybody's trying to get to that next level. They're trying to be better. You know, when it comes to sports, I hate to say this, but if you get to that next level, that means an extra zero on the end of that contract. And right. that's a big thing. That, that makes a big difference in your life, your family life, and maybe your your kids' kids' life. So you're just trying to get to that next level. You got to prepare. You got to sacrifice that time. You got to put in, the, in that time. And you got to do the things that you know that's going to make you better because in that process of doing all that, I think a lot of people forget to say, okay, I'm not just going to work on my strengths. I have to work on my weaknesses because the weaknesses is what's going to kill you. Your strengths are going to get you by, but the weaknesses is what's going to bring you down. And that's what every elite athlete that's won championships I played with, they work on their weaknesses because they didn't want to have that vulnerability, vulnerability to bring them down. And let me ask you, uh, you know, there's a question. Uh, you were talking about some of the people that your coaches that you learn from. And <clears throat> Catherine Lazardo asked, you know, you've had Hall of Fame coaches from Rudy Tomjanovich to, to Pop to Phil Jackson. Um, and I assume, obviously, in teaching you basketball, they also taught life skills and you've learned life skills. Can you talk a little bit about the people that you were exposed to? That, and then what you learned that you even apply today to life. I, I think, you know, it's, it's weird. Even, like I said earlier, every coach I ever come across has taught me something about life. And I think all together, they taught me the, the ability to work well with others. You know, and that's the, that's the whole key, you know, because – like they always say, you there's someone out there smarter than you, and there's someone always gonna be better than you. But you have to be able to work well with these other people. And there's a lot of times where you want to let your ego get in the way, but you have to be able to work well with others. You know, you I think about Rudy T. Since we're talking about NBA coaches, having Dream, the best player on our team, always yelling at him like, "You need these other guys. It's like it can't be all about you." You know, these guys depend on you but you also depend on them, you know, and, and then getting to Phil Jackson where he does all these mind things with you to try to overcome um, stress and situations. You know, he, he will 
he, Phil was the type of guy that would cause stress. Uh, you know, think about this. We're going to play Sacramento, small arena. He calls him the Cowbell town, town. He did this to prepare us for the finals because, in the, you know, in, in the playoffs because noises like that, uh, with, I mean, arenas with that with bad acoustics, you can't hear the coaches. So it's almost like he set that up knowing that when the playoffs roll around, we play these guys, it's going to be up to you. He, he can send signals in, a call, a yeah, but – you got to be able to adapt. You're not going to be able to hear him calling out plays. You got to be able to adapt on the fly. And it was weird when I say he called him a cowbell town. The one t- next time we played them, they all brought cowbells to the arena. And it was so loud and there were cowbells. We couldn't, like, hear him call. We actually lost that game. But it prepared us for the next game, which was in the playoffs. And, and that's what coaches do. They got to understand everything that the pool – everything that can do to pull that greatness out of you. You know, and, and with Pop, I, I, he was a totally different coach than every other. Every coach I've ever come across is totally different. He was the type of coach that would, you know, pick you up off the ground, hug you, and then yell at you and slap you around and says, no, you're not doing it right. You know, and, and, and I say slap you around, I only mean literally slap you around. He's not Bobby Knight. <laughs> so he, 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 every coach that I've come across, they have one thing in common, uh, and that's – for you to believe in yourself and, and for you to believe in yourself, but also be mindful like the team comes before you. It's we. There's no me. There's no I. And if in order for you to be successful, we have to be successful. It's a trickle-down effect. And so that's the one thing that I've taken away from not just the professional coaches, the college coaches, you know, the elementary high school coaches, that everybody – put it in me and, and to say, hey, you're, you're, you're not special. You're not, you're, you're not bigger than the team. And I went, I'm not even going to lie, I went through some moments where I thought I was bigger than the team. But, you know, they brought me back to reality. So it, it's, I think, like I said, that is the key thing is these coaches won't always want you to put the team before your individual goals. You know, it's interesting that we have talked about this in weeks past, months past. Guys, do you see, you know, Robert Ory is a phenomenal talent. He's got everything from the skills to the height to the drive, whatever. But there's a lot of guys over the decades that have had skills and height and whatever. And you wonder why he's only one of two people to ever win championships on three different teams, three different, completely different teams. Right. And why he's the high school basketball player of the year. And then in college and then in over. And it's about Robert. We've been talking about that, that outlook, that understanding of who you are and then consistency, consistent work over time. Right? Just like you're saying, if you rely on, oh, I'm the most talented, I'm the most skilled, I have a natural talent, but you don't work consistently, then you're kind of a one-hit wonder. This man has been at a high level his whole life because of the things that we're talking about. And I love it. I love it. And, you know, let's let's switch gears for a minute because there's there's a ton of questions about, (laughs) you know, tell me about – the Shaq Kobe tell me but I want to talk about some other stuff and then if you willing I was saying Robert you're going to get a lot of questions like look I have been asked everything you could possibly imagine (laughs) but clutch shooter 
Big shot, Bob. You were not only a clutch shooter that for the Lakers that a lot of us remember, but just for, I mean, Houston, everybody, Spurs. What is it, if you can tell us, when you are put on the spot, the ball bounces to you, you're, do you think about what you're doing? Is it automatic? How do you prepare for the, the, the spotlight when you don't know when the spotlight's going to come? Yeah. You know, uh, I'm going to give you a little background. Um, my mindset totally changed in high school. Um, my high school used to have a Christmas tournament every year. My brother, who was before me, he won the tournament. He won MVP two years, and then I won it for three years. And one year, I won it. It was my junior year. I don't think I deserved it. Even though I averaged like 40 points in the tournament, we lost in the, in the semifinals. And I remember this like it was yesterday. We were down two. And I got to the free throw line. I, I missed the first free throw. And it was only like a second left in the game. I missed the first free throw. Therefore, I had to miss the second one to try to you know, tie the thing. And I remember losing that game. And it, we, had, we hadn't lost our Christmas tournament in a decade. And, and it was, we lost it on my watch. Here I am, supposed to be the best player in the state of Alabama. And we lost our own Christmas tournament on my watch. And I remember walking into that locker room and seeing tears in my teammates' eyes. And I'm sitting there. And I'm, I'm like in shock. And I remember when I walked to the free throw line, how nervous I was because I felt the weight of the tournament. I felt the weight of my teammates, the coach. Like it's, that's the first time in my life that I felt like all eyes were on me. And I don't know what after that, what happened after that moment, but something in me clicked where it was like, dude, don't worry about it. It's, it's just a game. Don't put that pressure on yourself. It's just a game. And I remember after that game, my mom came up to me and hugged me and says, don't worry about it, babe. I still love you. And, and I remember that. And I was like, you know what? At the end of the day, that's all that really matters. If your loved ones still love you, and they're going to love you. Who cares if you miss a shot? Who cares if you score 60 points? Who cares if you score zero? They're going to love you. And after that moment, I thought to myself, you know, just play basketball. Just have fun. Don't even think about it. Going into college, I remember I hit a shot to beat Clemson in a tournament in Puerto Rico from half court. I mean, to win that game, I'm like, okay, this is just—it's fun, man. I remember my, you know, people don't even know this, but I—I made my rookie year. We were playing Seattle in 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 the playoffs. I hit a shot to take us to overtime that nobody ever talks about. They had my rookie, Dream Halajwan, MVP, you know, Hall of Famer, passes me the ball. I hit a shot. And it's like at that moment, people were like this dude, you know, he he got guts. He's just, you know, for me, it was just having that moment. Like, you know, it's a fantastic moment, but it's not a moment that's going to define me. It's not a moment that's going. When I say define me, it's not going to, you know, I go home, my kids are like, you missed that shot. We hate you, Dad. Get out. You know. And so from that moment, from high school, it put me in the mindset: um, it's just a game. You care if you make it or miss it, but in the big scheme of things, it's not that important. The, you know, I always tell people one of the slogans I hate is when they say basketball is life. No, basketball is not life. No, basketball is a game that we play for the love of it. And for me, 
I played for the love of it, and I played for the pure joy of it. I didn't start this game and say, oh, I'm going to do this to be a millionaire. I didn't do you know, to be, you know, have all these records. I played because it was fun. You know, it was a way to get together with your friends and get some exercise in. And so that at that moment in high school, it changed my whole mindset. It made me think that, you know, just go out and play basketball. Don't worry about it. You make a shot, clap. You miss a shot, you learn from that moment, and you go on, you move on to the next moment. Yeah, I think one of the best commercials ever is, is like when the athletes say, you have to have a short memory, you know, because it's 82 games in a season. If you worry about one game, you move on to the next. And my, like I said, I'm going to say this again, my mindset was blank. I don't think about anything because let me ask you this question. How many times have you woke up, got out of bed, and thought about taking that walk to the kitchen to get some water, taking that walk to the bathroom because you've done that. You've done that so many times that you don't have to think about putting going left foot, right foot, left foot. Uh, you don't have to think about it. That's how basketball is. That's why you put in that time, that sacrifice. So you don't have to think because it just it becomes a natural movement. And you see, we have not practiced this. This is the stuff that we've talked about. And the reason that I know what he's saying is because these are universal truths. That idea of putting in the consistent work to where it becomes automatic, the routines that we all put into that, you know, like you're saying, getting water, brushing your teeth at night. If we make our routines around our work, our family, our relationships, then it's, then it's more likely that we do it. It's more likely that we put that work in and just amazing. You know, um, Robert, following up on what you're saying, um, did you feel like the repetition, the work that you put in day in and day out made it automatic when you need to perform? It's just, it's like you don't even, you're unconscious. It's just like what it is. Uh, oh, yes. And, and the thing about that I try to get over to Christian right now, my son, is he like he he'll under, he he laughs at me because some days we might work three hours, and some days we might work an hour, and he's like, "But what, what Dad? Us, yesterday we only worked an hour." I said, "Yeah, because that day you went hard. Today you slacking, and it's the difference." It's like I said because I'm a I'm a believer, and if you go hard and you get the work done, and you be successful at the work you're doing, not just going through the motions, but being successful at what you're doing. We don't have to be in the gym all day because you put in the hard work. Now, if you're in there just, you know, slacking, oh, we go, we got to balance that out. In my mind, if you're slacking, okay, one minute of hard work is equal to five minutes of slack. You know, we got to balance that out. So, that's and, right. and that's what I had, I, I try to tell not just my sons, all, all kids. I, I remember I, I did a camp in, in Italy one time, and the kids were talking about, well, how do you say, uh, how do you well we practice like three hours a day why do y'all only practice like an hour and a half i said because we go hard i said when you go hard think about it if you go at 10 percent in practice all of a sudden you get in the game and you're going at 100 percent. that's not that's not equivalent that doesn't equal out now you don't understand the pressure the timing everything so you have to go hard game you know when we say game-like situations we really mean game-like situations you know you're going you're pulling up a jumper when you Two seconds left. You're going hard. All these things have to be done in practice. All these things have to be done when you're working out. And 
I, these guys, and I, and I watch some of them, they sit in there and say, oh, I put up 100 shots a day. I said, how long did it take you? He said, oh, it took me about an hour. I'm like, dude, it took you an hour to put up 100 shots. No, you put them out and you put up 100 shots, you need to put that up in like 15 minutes because you got to get it in, boom, 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 because now you're doing two things. You're making a game-like situation and you get to the point where your body's getting conditioned to be in that situation because there's so many guys that they get down the stretch. Why do they miss a shot down the stretch? Because they're not conditioned. They're not in shape because your body fatigues. And trust me, I know that for a fact because the reason I played so poorly in the playoffs my last year's late because my body was fatigued. Not because I didn't put in the work, but because I put in so much work that I had been to the finals in the fat plat in the last six years five times. Your body, my body just broke down on me. One thing that I didn't do is my body breaks down. So you have to take in things like that in account also. So you have to – so at the end of the day, you have to put in that hard work. You have to put in that work at the right level and not just go through the motion. You know, it's fun. You know where I heard that, where we heard that most recently? Stedman Graham's book, right? <laughs> Almost identical. Identical. <laughs> I haven't read Stedman's book, so <laughs> that's just a philosophy that I've gone through all my life, you know? Uh, it's amazing. You know where else I read that, guys? David Goggins, Can't Hurt Me, right? And, and he's the, the uh, Navy SEAL, Army Ranger, and he talks about what it takes. And, and Robert, you'll, you'll identify with this. He said there's a Navy SEAL... Um, kind of thought process that when you're under stress, when you're under the gun, you fall back to the level of your training. You fall back to the level of your preparation. Mm -hmm. And like Robert's saying, he's preparing for game time so that when it becomes game time, you fall back to that level. And how does that apply to lawyers, right? You know, um, it applies to when we're trying cases, when we're taking depositions, when we're in scenarios of relationships that are going to come up over and over and over. We all have our go-to saying. I have my go-to sayings in trial, right? And that's because I've gone over it, over and over and prepared for that time. But just amazing. You know, we got, we got what, uh, about a little less than 20 minutes. And I'm looking at all these these, uh, <laughs> these questions, and it's like, you know, tell us what it was like to shoot that shot over Chris Weber and when Doug Christie, <laughs> you know. You know, Robert, I'm wondering if, and, and, and I know I'm putting you on the spot, we, a professional athlete, the top of your game, and we're, you know, we're in the, watching the finals right now with the Lakers, and, and is there some stuff that, you can like let us mortals in on that really is what a high top level athlete has to deal with on a, during a season or during a regular day. Uh, you know, it's, it's, they're experiencing something totally different. Not being in the bubble, but when it's, when it's a normal NBA day, it's, 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 it's weird because for me, Regular season and playoffs are two different animals. Um, playoff, you know, in regular season, you're kind of more, for me, um, 
And a lot of guys, the guys who won champs among relax with it. You know, they're they're subject to take, you know, more requests and they they put themselves out there more. You know, because that's how you can make, you know, you know, your your name, your side adventures or whatnot. So but when the playoffs roll around, you kinda, you know, since we're in this world of quarantine, you kinda quarantine yourself. Um you make yourself less accessible. Uh, for me, um, it was funny because my mom would call me up and I'd be like, Mom, it's playoffs. What are you doing? <laughs> she said, well, such and such, Mom, you know better than asking me. For, if it ain't for you, don't even ask me for anything because my mind said it's not worried. I'm not worried about anybody that doesn't have the last name Ori. <laughs> and so, you know, you have to really key in. You know, just take offense. If you during the regular season, your blinders are like this. During the playoffs, your blinders are like this. You have to be laser focused. And so a lot of people don't understand. And, you know, and, and you can tell the athletes that are laser focused. And you can there's certain guys, I won't name names, that you've heard the rumors about them out drinking during the playoffs, out partying during the playoffs. That lets you know they're not laser focused and they're, they're selfish. Uh, and they're thinking about only – their satisfaction. And so instead of the satisfaction of the team, the city, you know, in the whole country. So for me, the focus has totally changed. You know, you, you go from not eating out to restaurants to, you know, bringing someone in to cook your meals so you can have the right type of carbs and have the right type of energy and not putting yourself in like, you might, you, you won't even go anywhere. Like I know my, before my wife cans, my ex-wife, she was like, aren't you going to take, no. I'm not going in case I get in a car accident. You know, it was, it was even little things like that. No, I'm not going to the store. I might, someone might get me sick, cough on me. You know, it's, it's little silly things like that, that you take in, in, into account that you won't want to, you know, come across. Because if you think about how many times guys in the playoffs get sick, guys get hurt, and the team loses that game, and it'd be that one deciding game that can hurt you. And, the playoffs in the regular season are two different entities. Is two different ways of approaching it, and I, I think people don't understand. You know, think about this: LeBron, he spends a million dollars on his body, and and he to keep his body ready for you know this moment that he's going through right now. Think about it: he's been playing basketball forever. And he's still jumping higher than most guys in the NBA. And he's doing things to make himself successful. And it all goes about with how you prepare off the court, you know, taking care of your body, you know, you know, feeding, you know, giving yourself the right nourishment, staying off your feet, massages, little things like that. So the playoffs, like I said, you do a lot of things you don't normally do to make yourself successful. Amazing. Just amazing. And um, this is fantastic. I'm like, <laughs> I'm loving it. Thank you so much. You know, I, having seen and obviously not knowing the, the Robert Ory in college when I first was exposed to you and then seeing your career and seeing that the NBA legend and now getting to know you, meet your family, meet your wife, meet your kids. Um, I want to talk about that for just a minute because, you know, everybody has a long life to live and everybody mm -hmm. has phases of their life. And what do you think 
that you learned as a professional athlete, younger, that have applied in your life, that have made you the father, the husband that you are today? And what can we pull out of our everyday lives to continue to improve ourselves? I think for me is to take advantage of the moment. Uh, take advantage of your opportunities because there's a lot of moments you won't be able to get back. And making memories is the most important thing so your family can have something to think back on and smile upon. And making memories and enjoying the moment oh, is what I learned. And I, and I think back, and, you know, right before Kobe passed, I remember him and I was having a conversation and he was rattling off all this stuff about, oh, this game, that game, this game, that game. And then he was like, man, I said, he, then he said, I remember when you told me to stop trying to jump so high on my three-pointers and, and I'll be more successful. I'm like, dude, I told you that? I said, yeah. And I, then, it, then it dawned on me, oh, I remember that now that we talk about it. And, and it made me realize that you have to appreciate every moment. Here is, you know, this this phenomenal person, you know, great athlete, and now we would never have that conversation again. And I think back on the conversations that I've had with other people, and, he, and you never know what you're going to – it could be just some regular person. It could be someone in, in, with some importance in your life that can say something to you that can change your, your life around. And I, I remember the – I've been I've been playing sports – for 30 years plus years and and there's three things that have been said to me that have made me want to cry and made me feel good the first thing was in high school I remember I lost in the state tournament in my senior year and I'm sitting in the stands like sad uh, tears in my eyes because my high school career was over and one of my teammates came up to me and he just said he just walked up to me and said I just want to say thank you I'm like, I'm like, says for what? He says, thank you for allowing me to play with you because I learned so much from you and I really enjoyed, you made playing high school basketball enjoyable. And for me, looking at this guy who's a junior, I'm like, you know, that, that just resonated with me. Like, wow, this guy appreciated me. And then the second thing was, I remember taking um, my middle son to, to a Laker game. When I after I retired, and this is what you you never know the mark you leave on somebody, and so we're in the locker room, we're talking to Fish and Cole, and Cole was talking to, to Cameron was like, "Dude, you playing basketball now?" He's like, "Yeah," and he looks at he looks at him and says, "Listen to me, your dad is one of the smartest players I ever played with, so whatever he tells you, listen to him." And he looked at Cole and he looked at me with this bewilderment in his face, like, are you serious, dude? And, so, <laughs> and you know, it's moments like that, that, that make you feel good. And then the other one was when I was, it was doing this round table and I'm always, you know, I'm a, at times I can be a humble guy. I'm sitting in this round table at an all-star game. We got David Robinson, Clyde Drexler, and uh, uh, I think it was Carl Malone. And we sitting there, and we're just talking. And I'm looking around, I'm like, why am I at this table with these three Hall of Famers, right? And we're sitting there, and every one of them looked at me and said, you know, 
we're all Hall of Famers, but Robert, you should be in the Hall of Fame one day. And for me to get that from my peers, I could care less with all these quote-unquote uh, professionals, these guys out there, what they're going to say. Because if I get that from my peers, then that's more important. And they, and they didn't have to say it at that moment. They just, you know, was talking about Hall of Fame. And they all looked at me because I was over like this, you know, looking all sad because I wasn't <laughs> in. And it's like, don't, you know, you should be. And for you to get that acknowledgement from your peers makes makes you makes you feel good. So, wow. Yeah. So, so I think everybody should understand that you, you know it's going to sound weird. Be, you said be be mindful of the people you're around. Listen to people and don't be afraid to say what's on your heart, on your chest, and tell someone because you don't know how that will impact them. That don't, you don't know how that will make them feel for the day. And how they would remember that for the rest of their lives. So you, you just gotta, you know, share your feelings. You know, just like I like to share my feelings with you that Alabama will always be better than LSU. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, it's ten fifty-two. I wondered when that was coming. It took, it took <laughs> you're not fifty-two minutes. Today. By the way, I get it. I get a text as. LSU's losing to Mississippi State early in the game for Robert. And I'm just like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. We should be winning. Be. <laughs> um, you know, here's the thing. I'm not going to jump on you when you're down. Like, that's no fun. You know, you know, you, you, know, you only got, what, three, four championships, and we got, what, like 50? Uh, yeah, yeah, big difference. <laughs> yeah, with our old coach, of course. I, you went with our old coach. So, and by the way, our managing attorney, Jennifer Burks, is on here, and she is – a uh, season ticket holder, Mississippi State Bulldogs, and she's, and yeah, and so she's loving it, right? But um, you know, we got just a couple more minutes. I, if anybody has any kind of last question, but Robert, this is exactly what I was hoping. You, uh, you are everything that I certainly knew you were, and I. It's amazing that you see that the quality of person that he is, and the 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 preparation over a lifetime that makes him the man that he is today. And it's no coincidence that he's talking and living and walking the lessons that are in all of these things from Stedman Graham to, you know, what we all have talked about here. So um, I just want to say thank you again, Robert. This is My everybody's pleasure. been so excited to hear from you. And um, I know I'm going to be hearing just – kudos about what uh, knowledge you've given all of us. So I, I can't thank you enough. And you've been a, a great guy. And everybody, thank Robert Ori for being here. Thank you, Robert. Right? Yeah. Robert, thank I have you. one question for you. Yes, Robert, sir. Here we go. I've got one yeah. question. Real quick. I'm always asking questions. Thank you, uh -huh. uh, Robert and Mike. It's just been wonderful. Thank you for taking your time. Robert, Here's a question that hasn't been asked. How do you stay relaxed while you're psyched up and you have that energy, whether it's during the end of the game, the pressure's on, isn't it, is it important to be relaxed? It's, it's always, it's very important to stay relaxed, you know, be in the moment. Um, it, there's a picture of us walking back on the court during a playoff game is Shaq, Rick, Kobe, and myself. And everybody's like this, and you see me like this, talking to Shaq, like, dude, you know, trying to lighten the mood so you can relax. And for me, I've always had a relaxed mind because, I, you know, Phil Jackson gives this test to everybody. 
And he says, he has one question that says, he says, describe yourself, uh, describe yourself and how you want to leave your mark on the, on the game. And you have three, uh, uh, three, give me three answers. And, and in my, and it was weird because you have one, two, and three. The first one I put he, and the second one I said had, and the third question I said fun. I was like, so that was the answer to my question. He had fun. And for me, it's you, you got to enjoy it. You got to have fun. You got to enjoy what you do because if you enjoy what you do, you're going you're gonna to do everything hard. You can do it with a love or with a passion. And so and if you enjoy it, you don't worry about it. And so I never worried about the big moments <clears throat> because I tell people all this time, you know, be, like, like I said earlier, basketball is not life. And at the time, I had a sick daughter at home fighting for her life. And you think I'm really going to think basketball is life when I have a daughter who's, you know, fighting every day to breathe? So I'm like, man, this is just basketball. Enjoy this moment, man, because basketball is not life. Go home, love your kids, love your wife, and just love your family. You know, I, I, I uh, amazing. I was thinking something, and I just saw it. When are you writing a book? When are you writing a book? You know, you know because you could, you could share so much knowledge with so many people that would just eat it up, love it. You know, it's weird. I, I was the, in my last year in the NBA, I had a guy to approach me. He says, yo, let's write a book because you already said quietly that this might be your last season. And I thought about it and then I was getting ready to, then my daughter got really sick, so I missed the first two months of the NBA, you know, dealing with her health issues. And then I had a guy that approached me a couple of times about writing a book, and I've really been thinking about doing this quarantine. And um, my good friend Brad Turner, he and I have been talking about it, so I might just do that. And uh, if this quarantine doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon, he and I are going to do it. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, I think hey, Robert. This could I ask you a question, Mike? And then, yeah, but, and that's the last. I'm sorry. Last I, one. Yeah, okay. go for it. Hey, Robert, if, if we donate $5,000 to uh, the, your favorite charity for your uh -huh. daughter, can you sign a few jerseys for Alder, Alder Talk Live? We I have so many uh, collections from you. Here's your, I don't know if you can see this one, seven-time champ. Yes, yes. Yeah. I see Perfect. that. I just want to, and, and you know that's actually my signature too because I see a lot of times with someone I got this from you. I'm like, no, no that because ain't my it's signature. authenticated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Robert, if you can get like, we'll we'll donate five thousand, and Mike's gonna match it, right, Mike? <laughs> Ten thousand dollars to your daughter's charity. Yeah. And, and we, uh, you we just got like, jerseys. That would be great. Man, you we know what? We got jerseys, I, I, and we I could have a, like a. Alder dinner at Alder uh, Mike's house. <laughs> Sounds good. You got it, All brother. Right. Thank you so hey, much. As long as I, hey, as long as I can get a free meal out of Mike, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he has his LSU helmets all over the place. Hey, that's that. Hey, that's the only restriction. It can it can only have one piece of paraphernalia with LSU on it, and it cannot be this past championship. We <laughs> <laughs> exactly. love you, Robert. Thank you so much. Yeah, you we do love you. Thank you, guys, Robert. <laughs> Ori, what an amazing, amazing, amazing. Robert, thank you so much, guys. Thank you for another thank great audience. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. All right. All right. We'll see you on Friday. Oh, hey, Mike. Yeah.
I'm, I'm, I'm gonna leave you with one of one of my favorite sayings before Please. you go. It's like, uh, so in the midst of me playing NBA basketball, I've been on a lot of teams, and people always said, you know, this and that. I always tell them, I says, you know what? I don't make the product, I make the product better because I have to understand everybody's mindset from players to coaches and be that one guy to adapt and mold myself to fit what you need to make you successful. So that's what I have to tell everybody. If you don't make the product, just make the product better because nobody knows what talent you can bring to the situation to make make the whole situation a better situation. Amazing, and you have. Thank you so much. Thanks, brother. I will talk to you soon. All right, see you soon, brother.